Let's hand it over to Michael Smirkanish and CNN Tonight. Well, thank you so much. I am Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to CNN Tonight. Is another populist right-wing member of Congress about to face punishment from a House controlled by Democrats? And if so, which side benefits from these efforts? Representatives Green, Gosar, now Boebert, have found themselves at the center of a growing Capitol Hill storm as progressives put pressure once again on Speaker Pelosi to strip a Republican of their House committee assignments. This time, it's Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Why? Well, she's under fire for Islamophobic remarks against Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Boebert insinuated that Omar is a terrorist, called her a member of the Jihad Squad. Worst of all, she's unapologetic. Anytime I hear one of those, to the extent I've offended anyone, apologies, I just tune out. That's not heartfelt. Confirmation? Well, there's been no public apology to Omar herself. So today, a group of House progressives led by Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts introduced a resolution that would remove Boebert from her committee assignments. It is shameful that we have had to wait this long for meaningful action, for meaningful accountability, but here we are. For a member of Congress to repeatedly and unapologetically use hateful, racist, and Islamophobic tropes towards a Muslim colleague is dangerous. Words have consequences. We must acknowledge that and respond with action. But will these calls result in action? Speaker Pelosi is holding her cards close to the vest. And I'm ready to announce that. I'll let you know. She argues it's the responsibility of Republicans to discipline their own members, but GOP leader Kevin McCarthy seems to always leave it to Democrats to discipline his own, a reluctance he does not seem to have when displeased with his own moderates. There are very few in the GOP willing to call out crazy these days. Usually that's a task left to Adam Kinzinger, maybe Liz Cheney, and perhaps now you can add Congressman Dan Crenshaw of Texas. There's two types of members of Congress. There's performance artists, there's legislators. Every single time we were voting on Donald Trump's agenda, who do you think was at the top of that list voting with Trump, and who do you think was at the bottom? Who's at the bottom? Everybody in the Freedom Caucus. All of them. What you hear so often is not true. It's not true. We have grifters in our midst. I mean in the conservative movement. Lie after lie after lie. He's referring to members of the House Freedom Caucus, a group that includes Boebert, Gosar, and Green, when saying all they want is attention. Case in point, well, it's this. Congressman Thomas Massey, Republican from Kentucky, puts out that holiday photo of his gun-toting family soon after four teenagers were murdered in a school shooting. And then, after that caused a storm on the Internet, Congresswoman Boebert decides to piggyback on it in a show of support with her own family firearm photo. Look, there are lots of amateurish, bad actors in Washington but we need to stop rewarding them with the attention they crave. To be clear, Lauren Boebert deserves punishment like Gosar and Green, but not censure or loss of committee assignments. These efforts may carry weight in Congress, but for the average person, they just ensure the offender becomes more relevant in the cable world and a punchline on late-night TV. Censure is not as severe as expulsion, but it's a stronger punishment than a reprimand And censure used to mean something and be feared by members. 
Like when in 1983, Representatives Jerry Studs and Daniel Crane were both censured for having sex with 17-year-old congressional pages. Yeah, that happened. Or in 2010, Representative Charlie Rangel, then the chair of Ways and Means, was censured after having been found to have committed multiple violations of ethics rules. And for Rangel, that was a big deal. Censure or committee stripping punishments for the likes of Boebert, Gosar, Green, are like handing car keys to a teen who's just misbehaved. It presumes these representatives are there to legislate, which they are not. Their mission is to do the things to keep them there, which today means evoke passion and raise money. The best punishment for that trio is to ignore them. Make them the Voldemort of the U.S. House, the names that will not be uttered. Additionally, if Democrats continue to single out every act of egregious conduct, get ready for Republicans to respond in kind should they retake the House next year. You remember Kevin McCarthy's speech when Gosar was censured? Rules for thee, but not for me. The members he singled out included Representative Omar, the very target of Boebert's insults. Well, it was Omar who once tweeted, Israel has hypnotized the world. And in 2019 said it's all about the Benjamins baby in reference to a pro-Israel lobbying group. At least Omar issued a robust public apology then. Nevertheless, should Republicans take the House in 2022, how long before it's Omar on the receiving end of calls for censure initiated by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy? Sometimes the silent treatment is the worst punishment of all. That's my take. Reach out to me via social media this hour, whether you agree or disagree, and I'll share some responses during the course of the program. Let's bring in a Democrat in Congress, Representative Connor Lamb from Pennsylvania, now running for the U.S. Senate. Congressman, thanks for being here. You heard what I just had to say. What's your response? Uh, Well, I think the first thing to point out is that we Democrats writ large are in no way eager to go around, you know, doing these resolutions, stripping people from their committee, taking these kind of actions. We would prefer that things like this were not necessary, and that's why we're not rushing in response to Representative Boebert's horrible comments about one of my colleagues. I think the Speaker actually had it right when she said it's on the House Republicans to take some responsibility for their own members. Uh, She's trying to give them some time and space to do that. This isn't something that we want to do. This isn't why we show up in Washington. We would all much rather be talking about the results that we're delivering for the American people. But we've tried to draw a line somewhere around the issue of violence. And unfortunately, you know, this year, 2021, began with an example none of us will ever forget about how the right-wing megaphones at this point in the country are capable of causing actual deadly violence in our country. And we can't forget that. You know, I think if you were... Uh, a member of Representative Omar's family, if you were her mother or father and you you saw the comments that were made, um, you'd be afraid about what would be facing your child at that point. And and you have to think about it from that perspective, too. Right. But as twisted as it sounds, you make these folks fundraising superstars when you do single them out, right? They're they're all the stuff of cable television. I'm I'm sure somebody's going to tweet, hey, Michael, you're talking about them right now. I am. But to make my point that I think we need to ice them out because all it does is... Look, Congressman, they're not there to do what I think you're there to do, which is to accomplish things. They're there to stay there. They're there to stay there, and the way to stay there is to get oxygen on cable television, terrestrial talk radio, and fundraise. 
Yeah, that's true. But I think part of the reason that these people get so much attention is that they are fundraising superstars already. They are taking these aggressive actions because they feel like they already know who their audience and their base is. And so the decision for us is to consider whether we still have faith in the broad American public's ability to understand our ethics and our reason for acting and why we would try to draw a line at at the causation of violence or the encouragement of violence against any member, by the way, not just against Democrats or Republicans, but against any of us. Um, you know, we had multiple colleagues who had death threats, very realistic death threats, just for voting for the infrastructure bill. I mean, something that would never have happened historically. That was Republicans that that happened to. And that's why we have to take this so seriously. Like I said, no one is really going in search of these fights. We'd much rather be talking about other things. But I think we feel some responsibility to try to protect our own members and promote some reasonable standard of conduct uh, toward how we treat each other. And we're hoping that the House Republicans in this case will step in and, and take care of their own side of the street. You, you heard the speech from Kevin McCarthy that uh, I cited briefly, rules for thee and, and, and not for me. Uh, and he rattled off, I think, five, member, five members, five of your colleagues. What of the prospect that all of a sudden it'll be Democratic behavior that's under a microscope and perhaps some of your colleagues in your caucus will then be censured? Um, Leader McCarthy deals in false equivalencies on a full-time basis. It's almost all that he does. Uh, That speech was rambling and incoherent for a number of reasons. So um, I don't want to minimize the prospect because I'm sure that he will do that. But my assessment of him is he's going to do what he wants and whatever he feels delivers him the most power and short-term satisfaction, you know, to begin with. What we have to think about is the fact that the Lauren Boberts and Marjorie Taylor's Greens of the World speak to a very well-armed, animated, angry audience on a day-to-day basis through their social media, uh, and we have to try to limit the damage to the extent possible. So again, this isn't something that we are eager to do, most of us, but we will do what needs to be done to protect our members, whether they look like me, whether they are women of color, whether they are Muslim or Christian or nothing. uh, They all deserve to be able to do their job without getting death threats, and we have to do our part to to, to try to make that possible. Quick final question. You have to survive a a tough Senate primary in order to get to a general election. Should you do so, maybe you face Dr. Oz. What do you make of that prospect? Um, I would certainly look forward to that debate. I mean, he he doesn't seem to have any connection with our state that I know of. And he's sort of typical of the modern Republican, which is that they are much more loyal to Donald Trump's brand and agenda than they are to the place that they seek to represent. And that's true for a number of candidates in this race. And I think that's going to be a lot of what the general election is about. You know, I'm a Democrat, uh, but I have consistently talked about being a Pennsylvania Democrat, putting the interests of Pennsylvania first, our jobs, our economy, the issues that are specific to us. Um, And I've lived there almost my entire life, so I have a pretty strong basis for saying that. Even even before he got in, I've been telling anyone who will listen that all eyes will be on Pennsylvania and we've got the hottest Senate race in the country coming up next year, and you factor into it. Thank you for being here, Congressman Lamb. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Michael. What are your thoughts? Tweet me at Smirconish. I'll read some responses throughout the course of the program. What do we have? Smirconish, how should they handle the far left? That's a bigger problem, but you are on CNN, so I can't expect any balance. Hey, right-leaning independent, I just made the point, did I not, that Ilhan Omar herself has unclean hands with tweets that I regarded as being anti-Semitic. To be fair, I also need to point out that she did what Bobart and Gosar and Green never do, which is 
to offer a forthright apology. So I'm not afraid to call out any of that conduct, or I wouldn't have referenced that at the end of the commentary, would I? Next, what do we have? Smirconish, we should laugh at them and treat them like the clowns they are. What we shouldn't do is line up the squad to throw a collective tantrum every time they get trolled. That never works. Yeah, James, you you get my point. I mean, you, you know, click around and listen to alternative media sources and see the kind of play they get. This is exactly what they want to do. All they want to do once they get to D.C. is stay there. And you heard my pitch maybe on Monday night, right? Old school was you came to Washington, you were a backbencher, you bided your time, you achieved seniority, got a choice committee assignment, maybe a chairmanship, and then you tried to get things done. Now getting things done is fundraise so that you can come back. One more if we have time for it. Sure, why not? The far right in Congress is counting on the far left in Congress being too busy putting the nut jobs in the corner for a timeout so they can't address the real... Yeah, well, can I just say this, uh, Benjamin Zeve Firestone? And I should have made this point to Congressman Connor Lamb. Anytime this is gathering oxygen, what's not being discussed are gas prices, uh, grocery prices, all those issues that Steve Bullock, the former governor of Montana, was my guest two nights ago, and he said, you know, Democrats, get out of the city. The issues that people are really focused on don't get the attention. And that's not in anybody's best interest. Republican, independent, Democrat. Keep that social media coming because I love responding to it. To America's growing crime crisis next, what's behind the biggest spikes in murder ever more in a dozen major cities? And why does the DA in my hometown of Philadelphia deny the violent truth? He's facing harsh words from a fellow Democrat over it. The reality, that's next. At least a dozen major American cities are experiencing record murder rates. It's a story repeated in red states and blue states, east coast, west coast, throughout the heartland. This comes after 2020 saw one of the biggest spikes in murder ever. At the same time, we keep seeing scenes like this. Or these organized smash and grabs and looting where thieves seem to get away scot-free. Pointing out that overall crime was worse in the 90s is of little comfort which is why Pew shows a big jump in Americans worried about crime, adding to the uncertainty are politicians like Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner, who insisted this week that his city doesn't have a crisis of crime or of violence, even though Philly has more murders this year than any of the other cities that I showed you at the start with record homicide rates. The city's former mayor, Michael Nutter, calls comments like that ignorant and insulting, asking in a recent op-ed, quote, What kind of messed up world of white wokeness Krasner is living in to have so little regard for human lives lost, many of them black and brown, while he advances his own national profile as a progressive district attorney? My guest is the director of policing and public safety for the Manhattan Institute, Hannah Myers. Okay, Hannah, here's the question relative to progressive prosecutors and crime. Mm -hmm. Correlation or causation? Um, certainly, certainly both. Um, you know, you look at uh, jurisdictions where progressive prosecutors have come to office like Philadelphia, and you do see record homicide rises. Um, as you said, you see um, drops in felony conviction rates. A study found that 20% fewer felony convictions happened in progressive um, jurisdictions. And um, 
Uh, and you see fewer police cases getting solved because police have to work hand in glove with prosecutors. Uh, and you see record numbers of the kind of seasoned, experienced prosecutors whom you want in a prosecutor's office because they have that sophistication to handle murder and gang violence and rape leaving in record numbers because it is such an inhospitable environment and an office in which uh, the prosecutors have lost sight of their primary mission and mandate, which is to represent the people against criminals and keep us safe. And, and your former mayor, Michael Nutter, said it so well. Okay, but these individuals were all elected. I mean, I don't know what happened here. I, I you know, came of age politically in an era where the way to get elected as a district attorney was to, to thump your chest and promise right. everybody that you would lock up the bad guys and throw away the key. That's no longer the formula. And talk about Larry Krasner. He was just reelected. I mean, to be fair to him, all these issues were just litigated in the election and he was successful. So what explains it? You know, I think a lot of people don't realize the impact of prosecutorial policies. Very few people um, vote in these elections, voted in the re-election for Krasner. Um, and there's a lot of funding uh, by people for whom uh, they want to see the kinds of prosecutorial policies. They want to see uh, a lot of crimes not getting prosecuted, like gun possession, like shoplifting. Um, and they realize that if you put the right prosecutor in office, you can uh, sidestep the entire process of having crimes, uh, you know, passed, having laws put into place by legislatures. So it's much more uh, effective to simply fund uh, a prosecutor into office um, and and affect that kind of change. And and voters so far have not have not uh, I think realized it enough Hannah, to, to come out in droves and change it. Quick response, if you're able. The pandemic. Please. I mean, come on, we live in strange times. Doesn't the pandemic explain some of this? That's what a critic of your perspective would say. Sure, and, and people have been asking that. But when you look at the types of crimes that are going up, gang violence, the type of organized shoplifting that's in San Francisco that has led to the 500% rise in shoplifting, where you see organized rings going in, cleaning out stores, fencing those goods and using it as part of larger um, gang activity and violence. Well, Chesa uh, Boudin mm -hmm. faces a recall. You think he'll be recalled? I, I hope so. I mean, I think certainly what we've seen, the, the Waukesha massacre, the shooting of that Temple University student oh, recently horrible. in Philadelphia. Horrible. So, so gut-wrenching. And it's yep. a failure of those prosecutors. And, you know, they respond with this kind of whoopsie-daisy. Oh, it was a junior uh, line prosecutor, says Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee it's such DA a damn sad them. story. Hannah Myers, yeah, thank you. Sure, thank you. To be continued, as they say. By the way, the former mayor of Philadelphia, Michael Nutter, who I just mentioned, will be here tomorrow night. Looking forward to that. What are your thoughts? Tweet me at Smirconish. You know the drill by now. Social media, I love to respond to it. What do you got to say? Here we go. Uh, why are you giving credibility to something the right-wing echo chamber just made up? How about talking more about the real link between the number of guns and shootings? Hey, Nostradamus, just because the crime issue gets a lot of play in other quarters, and I see it, doesn't mean it's not a worthy or legit issue. Do we have the ability to put back on, on the, uh, the screen right now the spike in crime and, and the Pew data? Vaughn, can you put up any of that just to respond to this individual so that he sees... It's come. Okay. It's the, it's numbers driven. This is not ideology. Okay. Okay. Take a look at the U S murder rate. And, and now tell me I'm just falling into some right wing echo chamber. I'd be derelict in my duty 
if I didn't discuss this? What's the next social media? Smirconish, the question seems like one that can be answered definitively with data. When that is the case, seeking opinions is kind of pointless unless the goal is to highlight political divisiveness. That's not your goal, is it, Michael? No, I asked, I think, the appropriate questions. What's the impact of the pandemic? Is this correlation or causation? What question would you have asked of my guest? And because she has a perspective, I'm not supposed to bring her on? Come on. Is social media hazardous to the health of young users? Instagram's chief got a grilling on Capitol Hill about that today. What will his company do to make its platform safer for children? Did his answers satisfy? I've got the expert on kids in the web next. Today, the head of Instagram faced tough questions from a Senate subcommittee about the site's potentially harmful impact on younger users. While he acknowledged the need for updated regulations, he also admitted to lawmakers a loophole in a default privacy setting meant to protect teens. I learned of that just this morning. It turns out that we, though we default those under the age of 16 to private accounts for the vast majority of accounts who are created, which are created on Android and iOS, we have missed that on the web and we will correct that quickly. I want to discuss with Gene Twangy, the author of iGen, why today's super-connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. She's a psychology professor at San Diego State University. Dr. Twangy, so that people can appreciate your opinions, let me set this up as follows. For 25 years or thereabouts, you studied data pertaining to generational differences, and you noted something that alarmed you relative to 2012. Pick up the story. Right. So I got used to seeing generational changes that were big, but they'd take a decade or two to get there. Then around 2012, I started to notice changes in teens' mental health in particular that were huge and sudden. Um, As just one example, teen depression doubled between 2012 and 2019. Self-harm went up, suicide went up. Across the board, these enormous changes in mental health began to appear. This is based on your data. Going out with parents, can we put it up on the screen? And I don't know if you can see this, but it's pretty alarming. I've drawn a red line in the year 2012, and you can see an, an enormous drop in progress going out with parents. Let's do the next one. Less dating. Again, an enormous decline. The third one more likely to feel lonely. That escalates in 2012, losing sleep, same type of escalation. What does this have to do, in your opinion, with 2007's introduction of the iPhone? So the end of 2012 was the first time that the majority of Americans owned a smartphone. It's also right at the time when social media use among teens moved from being optional to virtually mandatory. It was around the time you got about 75%, 80% of teens starting to be on social media every day. So if you weren't on it, you were left out. And then if you are on it, as we know from Facebook's own research, there are all these consequences. Pretty convincing then. I see causation. Do you still use the word correlation? I do simply because 
from a scientific point of view, it is very hard to prove causation when you're thinking about generations and change over time. But I can ask this question, what else changed teens' lives so fundamentally around that time and then kept going through the present time? And the answer is nothing. So today the head of Instagram testified, I guess the big question to ask you is, what's to be done? Right. So, you know, what what Instagram is suggesting is, is they're trying, but it's, it's too little too late. Uh, they say they want Instagram um, and the other platforms to be safer for teens, but they don't verify age. So you're supposed to be 13 to have a social media account. And there's 10, 8, 12-year-olds on these platforms all the time. Plus, 13 is probably too young. So we want to have a safer platform, say, for 13 to 17-year-olds. And they say, well, let's have parental controls, do all these things. None of that's going to do any good if you don't verify age. Because it's like, I don't want my parent to control me online. Well, what do they do? They just put in a different birth year. Right. Crazy. I mean, my takeaway from reading your book, iGen, which is excellent and alarming, is that too many young Americans are spending time behind closed doors trying to create some portrayal of a normal existence instead of leading one. That's exactly right. That there's all this time and attention put into I'm going to take the perfect selfie. Uh, I want to make sure that I get the likes that I get the followers instead of actually going out and experiencing life, actually spending time with other people face to face and developing those social skills and those emotional connections. This is what we've become. And teens are on the front lines of that. Uh, Dr. Twangy, I know you're raising children of your own. Any tip for the rest? My number one suggestion is no phones in the bedroom overnight. Hmm. That at least we can protect sleep time from being disrupted by notifications, by kids staying up late or staying up all night, trying to see if their Instagram post got enough likes. Get enough sleep. That will at least help some with mental health. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much. Gene Twangy's book is called iGen. It's hard enough to get many Americans to wear masks. So why is one government-run agency fighting to ban employees from wearing certain masks on the job? Does it violate free speech to ban face coverings that say Black Lives Matter? We'll talk to an attorney representing the workers' union in court next. If you take mass transit in Pittsburgh, you rely on the Pittsburgh Port Authority. That agency is now fighting to reinstate a ban on Black Lives Matter masks for its workers. They argue uniformed employees displaying a political or social protest message could open a can of worms for other causes. But that stance is now sparking confusion because the agency has itself embraced the BLM movement in the past. We have one of the attorneys who argued the case on behalf of the transit union in the Third Circuit on Tuesday. His name is Joseph Pass. Counselor, thank you so much for being here. From reading about the argument that you just participated in, I see that opposing counsel said, well, what happens when somebody wants to wear a Confederate flag? What's the answer to that? 
Well, the answer is, which uh, we gave to the court, was Confederate flag uh, symbols violence. It symbols the trying to separate the states. It was a cause of a war, a war that killed many people. Black Lives Matter is a peaceful demonstration that doesn't advocate any violence whatsoever. In fact, it advocates less violence. It advocates for the treatment of people of color uh, the way they should be treated like all other Americans. So there's a big distinction. They also, I might say, in their brief suggested that the swastika would uh, somehow uh, be compared to the Black Lives Matter, which is ridiculous. Is this, another, is this another of those Potter Stewart, Stewart uh, pornography, I know it when I see it? <laughs> or can you articulate a standard of what should be permissible on a municipal employee's mask or not? Well, the, the courts have said that the municipal, uh, that a public employer can do uh, some restrictions on the public employee's right to speech. The public employee has a right to speak on matters of public concern. And that once that happens, the employer has the obligation to try and show why that speech would be disruptive and why that speech would somehow harm the employer. And that's the problem. How do you define, as, as the court said, how do you define what they can and can't do? And I think it is something, as Father Stewart says, I can't define pornography, but I will know it okay. when I see it. I'm sure you came prepared to play the hypothetical game. How about a MAGA facial covering? Interestingly enough, that's what was going on for the last 50 years. They've had a policy for 50 years, and I was involved in the policy when it first got started that long ago, which banned political and social causes, buttons and other emblems putting on your uniform. Yet for 50 years, they allowed that. There was testimony in this uh, hearing we had in front of the district court. The district court judge was doing an excellent job in going through all of this pointed out there were mag people wearing magna hats. There okay, were people so you're cool with that. That's fine. Uh, that's fine. That's okay. someone's right to speak. All right. Blue Lives Matter. That's something. Indeed, we even had the uh, witnesses who were African-American, and they were asked that very question, and the one gave the, the best answer you could give. He said, I don't like it, but they have a right to say it. Okay. And as long as it's peaceful more. and respectful. One yeah. more. White Lives Matter. There's no harm with that. We, that same question was asked of all the African-Americans who testified at this hearing. Okay, so I'm, I'm, he I'm hearing from you, Confederate flag, no. Pretty much everything else, as long as you don't think it incites violence, is okay. I agree. That's exactly right. That's what free speech is about. Uh, advocating something that is going to stir violence is a different story. I can't imagine why you would say wearing a peaceful mask of Black Lives Matter while you're operating a, a bus in, or, or a rail car in public transit is going to cause any kind of disturbance whatsoever. Will you find people that don't like it? Absolutely. But that's part of our society. Differences of opinion. And differences of opinion erupt. But it doesn't necessarily lead to violence. Well, it was interesting to read about the argument. I can't wait to see what the Third Circuit does. Joseph Pass, thank you so much for being here. You're more than welcome. Thank you. A prominent Republican in Congress about to make a major career change, and it has some wondering why Devin Nunes would do so when he could take on a very powerful position if his party wins back control of the House. 
a reality check on his choice to start serving former President Trump instead of the people with John Avalon next. After 19 years in Congress, California Republican Devin Nunes was essentially next in line to become chairman of House Ways and Means, the oldest and arguably most powerful committee in Congress. But this week, he announced he's giving it all up just so that he can go to work for Donald Trump's new media company. What should that tell us? John Avlon is here with our reality check. Lemmings in suicide vests. That's what Congressman Devin Nunes once called right-wing House Republicans for lining up to jump off the cliff of a 2013 government shutdown over Obamacare. At the time, he decried their, if you're not with us, you're against us mob mentality. But what a difference eight years and Donald Trump makes. Because the same guy who warned against the crazy in his party ended up enabling it. And so a man whose leadership of the House Intelligence Committee provided a portrait of hyperpartisan hackery, a man known for filing frivolous lawsuits against critics, including a parody Twitter account purporting to be his cow, is now going on to his great reward. Not the chairmanship of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee, for which he'd be next in line if Republicans won the midterms, but instead resigning to serve as the CEO of Trump's phantom social media business, which is already under federal investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission. But the absurd arc of Devin Nunes' career is actually instructive because it shows how Trump's cult of personality has perverted the spirit of public service inside the GOP, replacing governing with grandstanding and grift. Nunes' decision to bail on Congress after nearly 20 years reflects his bet that the real power inside the GOP is being in Trump's orbit, not doing pesky little things like legislating. But it also reveals the real electoral weakness of being a Trump toady. Consider this. Nunes won his Republican-heavy district in California's Central Valley by over 70% four times before Trump was president. But he squeaked by with 52% of the vote in 2018 midterms and 54% in 2020, despite raising millions. And faced with redistricting, which looks likely to bring more Democrats into his district, Nunes' Trump suck-up act was going to be a tough sell to swing voters. But all right, just how big a prize is being CEO of Trump's new social media platform? Well, it brings Nunes more right-wing celebrity and at least the promise of C-suite cash. The fact that Nunes, who was elected to Congress before he was 30, has never run a tech company or a business of any kind beyond having a hand in his family dairy doesn't seem to be a downside for the Donald. But hey, only the best people. Am I right? That's one of several absurdities behind the Trump platform, which is not at all ironically called Truth Social. The company currently has a market valuation of $1.6 billion, despite having no product, no users, or revenue. And its business plan projects 81 million users and $3.6 billion in rev by 26. Sounds legit, right? Totally. But their mission is almost as revealing. As Nunes said in a set statement, it's dedicated to the free flow of ideas and expression without censorship. Now, this is fundamentally at odd with True Social's own terms of service, which states that users cannot disparage, tarnish, or otherwise harm, in our opinion, us and or the site. This is a perfect summation of the Trumpist attitude towards free speech. Anything goes, as long as you don't disrespect the Donald. But don't strain yourself looking for consistency of principles. But do recognize that Trumpist rallying cry of free speech is a self-serving fig leaf to cover up their own inner snowflake. Hypocrisy and greed, grift and grandstanding, they all go together. 
But there's a tragedy in here somewhere as well. Because the dissent of Devin Nunes shows how corrupting the current incentive structure can be inside a political party that has become a cult of personality. The man who once derided lemmings and suicide vests ended up becoming one himself. And that's your reality check. It's flooring. You, you can be the next... I mean, let's be fair. He's got a real shot, had he stayed, of being chair of ways and means. Yes. It gets no better, more powerful than in a bygone era, John. Right? You, you'd work and pray your whole career to get that gig. And instead, in this era, no, I'd rather take this, this media flyer. It says a lot about where real power rests. That's exactly right. It's about power. It's about propaganda. And it's about profit. It's not about public policy. Wow. Nice work. Thanks, man. We'll be right back with more of your social media reaction. Let's see. Are you going to play nice tonight? Here's what you're saying via social media about this evening's program. What do we have? Uh, Smirkanish, here we are on Twitter where you get bashed regularly. What is your advice to teens who get bashed online? Indiana Amy, I'm glad that I didn't grow up in the internet age. I mean, in my era, the most trouble you could get on was sitting on a Xerox machine. This sort of stuff follows you around and nobody ever gets beyond it. And I totally understand how so many kids are shut-ins today trying to create the perfect life instead of leading one. We've raised four. I hope we've done a decent job, but, you know, I'm addicted to this thing too. Next, what do we have? Smirkanish, maybe we let the masks do their job, which is to protect us against the virus. Who cares what it says? You know, Miss Daisy, here's my thought. Do you remember there was a controversy? It went through the federal system, I think all the way to the Supreme Court, where in a New Jersey school district, kids started showing up with bracelets that said, I love boobies. And it was actually a breast cancer awareness campaign, and the school took them on. And so, of course, people fought back and they litigated all the way to the Supreme Court, I think. Fact check me on that. My position was they should have ignored it. It would have gone away. And I'm not saying that Black Lives Matter should go away, but sometimes you got to pick and choose your battle. Should be a fight over Black Lives Matter? I don't know. Shoot over, fight over something that's really hateful. Not that. But we'll see what the Third Circuit resolves. What else? Uh, A long one. Um, Yeah, so the cities that have very conservative, harsh punishments have lower crime rates. Nope. Would progressive DAs or judges allow men convicted of serious crime like rape off the hook with probation? No prison time? Nope. But we've seen conservatives do just that. Trey, something's gone on here. I mean, the nation has a mindset that we went too far in terms of an era of mass incarceration. And I think there's probably truth in that. But I also remember a friend of mine, the late John Timothy. He was the police chief in Philly. He was also the number two here in New York, and he was the number one in in Miami. And he once said to me about Philadelphia, and he had data to back this up. He said, we've got like 5,000 bad guys, and they keep committing all the crime. And we let them out, and they commit more crime and more crime. Now it's become a battle over bail. I mean, some among us have got to stay locked up. That's my view. And it's gotten completely out of control. Others have had unjust sentences. And somewhere in the middle, as is usually the case, lies the truth. Thank you for watching. I'll be back here tomorrow night. Don Lemon Tonight starts right now. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.